Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. If you've been in Atlanta for any amount of time, you've more than likely made it in for a meal at one of the fifth group establishments. And we're talking about La Tavola over here in the Highlands, Lure, Echo in Midtown or Buckhead, South City Kitchen, El Taco, or Alma. And these are the restaurants that make up the roster for this group. And they've been a part of the Atlanta dining community for over 25 years. And it all started with the one location of South City Kitchen in Midtown back in the 90s. So I wanted to catch up with the three of the founding members of Fifth Group to hear how everything got started. So welcome Robbie Kukler, Chris Reinhard, and Steve Simon to the show. And I sat down with these three gents at the Echo location in Buckhead for a conversation, and the ambiance of the restaurant was just wonderful, and I wanted to let you know. But we laughed a lot, you know, podcasting jokes and stuff about starting a fencing-themed bar, but the usual. Anyway, these guys have quite the story to tell, so let's get right to it. circle back and ask the same question it's going to be a gas but let's go uh counterclockwise to my right welcome to the atlanta foodcast hi i'm steve simon hi steve it's great to be here (laughs) thanks for being here see how i'm just not ready for these logistics i'm used to having like i'm staring deep into the eyes of one person um so steve welcome to the show thanks for being here glad to be here yeah and to your right or rather across the table who are you good sir chris reinhardt I'm pleased to be here as well. Thank you. Chris has a, a very illustrious beard that you cannot see because this is a podcast. I apologize, but you'll see it in the photos. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks Appreciate for being it. here. Thank you. Yeah. And to your right, uh, directly across from me, who are uh, you, good sir? Robbie Kukler. <laughs> Robbie, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, man. It's we're, great to have you guys. We're excited. This is our maiden voyage of podcasting. I was going to so. say, so th- I usually like to ask that question. You know, it's like, how many podcasts have you been on? And I've actually yet to have too many people on the show where they've been on a lot, unless it's, you know, um, depending on who it is. You know? I might go out and buy all this equipment later on this day today and see if I can do this at home. Tonight. I will send you links to everything on Amazon. So That's it's uh, everything can be acquired at your local audio store, uh, Guitar Center, or on Amazon. That's perfect. I don't get paid to say that, but <coughs> I just said it. So, um, well, guys, this is super cool. I, I am really excited to have all of you on the show and talk through what's really great history in Atlanta dining, and especially the dining scene. I mean, I, I think Fifth Group is a pretty, I mean, to me, I think it's a very household name in terms of dining in Atlanta. At some point, if you live in the city, you will grace the threshold of one of your concepts for either a birthday, a work function, a holiday party. I've experienced, I think, Echo, La Tavola, El Taco more times than I can uh, even count. Um, and then especially South City Kitchen multiple times. And it's been just, I mean, a smattering of different you know, times throughout my life and especially my life here in Atlanta. Um, so we're going to cover a lot of like the business side of things, like how you guys have, you know, put a, a pretty huge footprint in the dining scene of Atlanta, but I want to get to know you guys just a little bit. So we're going to do this. Um, you know, I think we'll probably just like whoever wants to, to go for it first, but each of you gets the first inescapable question that every guest on the Atlanta Foodcast receives. So you guys have to tell me what or, or what rather uh, who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she so who wants to go first I grew up eating uh, primarily my mother was a great cook and it really is where my love of food came from um, growing it and eating it first 
And then as I got older in high school and wanted more than three meals a day, she said, <laughs> cook them yourself. And so I started cooking. But I didn't miss dinner in my house growing up. It was great. And it was simple food. It was, my mother grew up in Tallahassee and um, in the South with food around her all the time. I grew up in Michigan. Um, so it was you know, a different setting. But she cooked simple food of what was in season, you know, simply roasted or grilled meats with produce that was fresh and in season. And that's, that's kind of how we ate. And it was great. I think as we got uh, a little older, my parents got older, we started eating a little healthier, um, you know, maybe not as much beef and stuff, but it was just always great food. Um, so I grew up in an ethnic home Jew, being Jewish as well. So there was Jewish food, Southern food, growing up in, in Michigan as a a Yankee. So it was all sorts of different kinds of things, but fresh, simple, delicious food. I think the the combination of Jewish cuisine and the style of cooking mixed with Southern would actually be great. I can only imagine what you, I mean, especially just in way of like pastrami on rye, but you know, with a Southern. I've always dreamed of a, a Southern Jewish deli named after my parents, Max and Iva. So I have I a gene that's very Southern. Yeah. My father, Max. Yeah. But Max and Iva's would make a and I've always wondered how I could figure out how to make sweet potato matzo ball soup. I can see that happening. Yeah. And if you, Max and Iva, you said, mm -hmm. if you open the doors to that tomorrow, I mean, pick any corner of Atlanta, you'd have a line out the door. So uh, that, that sounds actually we, pretty we awesome. We do need better, more, more good delis in this city. I, would, I agree yeah. with that. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, so you said you were growing up in Michigan, Robbie? Yeah. What kind, so, I mean, it sounds like you were a pretty big eater. What was like something that you loved the most? Oh, gosh. Um, well, my mother made fried chicken a few times a year. Um, on the other side of that, her stuffed cabbage that she made once a year and that most of the family complained about because the house smelled so bad. <laughs> but, man, it was, you know, really, really great with, you know, cabbage stuff with ground meat and rice and seasoning and sauerkraut and tomatoes. Yeah, I'd eat that um, every day in my yeah, life. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome with pieces of brisket down in it, or actually short rib, I think. Oh, nice. Kind of cooked down in the... Yeah. So everything from, you know, those. And then on, she also introduced us growing up to a lot of homemade ice cream. That was uh, oh, yeah. homemade peach and homemade banana ice cream a lot in the summer in August. My brother and I both have August birthdays. Nice. So we had homemade ice cream, which yeah. nobody growing up in Flint, Michigan, knew what homemade ice cream was. Right. Like kids would be like, it's what? What do yeah. you mean you made it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I uh, my, my mother, being a pastry chef, uh, you know, the the ice cream maker was always out on the back patio because it sounded like a cement mixer rather than a actual ice cream mixer. Um, it was so loud. I mean, it just sounded like someone just was holding the vacuum next to your head the entire time. You had yeah. to yell. But then like when you're eating homemade strawberry ice cream, like in the middle of the season, um, at the perfect temperature, you kind of, yeah, yeah, you just kind of forget about all the noise. You're like, yep, it's worth it. But yeah. cabbage is a different story though. Same thing right. with Brussels sprouts. You're like, that uh, that stays around the house for a little while. Yeah. But anyway, um, well, that's cool. Let's uh, let's move on to, to your left. I'm going to select yep. everybody yep. now. So Chris, uh, who cooked for you growing up, and what kind of cook was he or she? Uh, well, uh, my, actually, my mother cooked for me, and uh, she definitely, I guess there was two people, my mother and then my, my grandmother, but my mother mostly. Um, and she was, it was interesting because she was, uh, we had a you know, small garden growing up, and so there was, you know, uh, it's an herb garden mostly, a couple of vegetables, but... Um, she really, uh, I came from a household that the, um, my father was a, a, an architect and my mother was um, uh, in a stay-at-home mom, but she also worked in retail and she worked at like a gourmet houseware kitchenware store, kind of like a Williams-Sonoma, but an independent brand. And she really, um, uh, so, so the, 
the physical our physical kitchen in our in our homes have always been really pretty fantastic. So great equipment, all the little small wares, all the knickknacks, all the you know the the you know um, garlic presses and the little um, knickknacky gadgets and all that kind of stuff were yeah. all over the place. So there's lots of fun tools to to be, to play with. Um, so she would she would um, cook. Definitely every every day, um, and uh, and I just kind of um, it's interesting. I would spend a lot of time in the kitchen. She would show me some of the basic skills and that that kind of thing. She was she was definitely a recipe follower. You know, she didn't wing it much. She was really by the book and and did a lot of things, but really just made some fantastic meals over and over. And it really became you know her livelihood for a while in the. Um, gourmet Housework Kitchenware Store because when they moved to Charleston, South Carolina, from we were I grew up in Sugar and Falls, Ohio, and uh, when they moved to Charleston, my mother actually opened a store in Charleston. Uh, it was a Gourmet Housework Kitchenware Store, um, continuing on the zone of, of just uh, high-end cook cookware, um, things like you know All Clad and actually All Clad before it was like a big name. Was yeah. my my parents' store is the biggest distributor of their of their product in the country. And my uh, father also designed um, uh, cookware as well. He did stuff like he made wow. rice steamers and things like that, and how to manufacture overseas and bring them in and those kind of things. So, um, so food was always a very important part of uh, of my upbringing. Um, and we had some, uh, you know, just you know, I'd say I had my next door neighbor actually was the general manager of a restaurant called Gamekeeper's Tavern in Chagrin Falls. And uh, he, I used to cut his lawn when I was like 12, and he hired me when I was 14 to come in and start working in the restaurant there. Hmm. So that's kind of my, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a spinoff from where my mother uh, was cooking for me, but, but it was you always an it. important part. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in it. You, you were in it from yeah. so many different angles. I mean, especially, I mean, with your, your dad working in such a different part of the industry, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, Understanding, you know, the the side of you know where the cookware comes from. I mean, that that makes you respect that completely different side of the industry. Definitely, yeah. I mean, he, he's actually by trade he was an architectural engineer, but the engineering degree that he that he had um, basically obviously had him actually meet. He would go to trade shows because he his job at one point was he was he ran a, a big industrial oven companies they built these huge industrial ovens for like Keebler and Nabisco and oh, things wow. like companies like that so I grew up going to like snack food shows and those kind of things but he, oh, uh, that explains that we never know where <laughs> exactly. that came exactly. from. Yeah. gotcha that's right <laughs> that's right that's why I like circus peanuts um, but the uh, but so so he was into the actual engineering of the product so he knew when he first saw the all clad line come out like how you know the different layers and just the distribution of heat and stuff like that would help in the cooking process and and so it was always pretty uh, embedded in me, just whether it was the yeah. the actual the industrial part of cooking to the to the actual flavors and cookbooks. And that's stuff cool. Like that. so, yeah. yeah, you've got a different upbringing than most, man. That's really cool. That that's just that's in your blood, man. Yeah, that's okay. awesome. Um, well, Steve, tell us uh, who cooked for you growing up, and what kind of cook was he or she? Well, I am the Midwestern trifecta, so it's all three of us <laughs> here. Um, well, I was gonna say you said Ohio for Chris, yep. Robbie. You said Flint, Michigan. Yep. All right. And so I was hit about us with thirty it. miles north of Detroit, in a very rural area small town called Romeo Romeo that's right nice and, and ironically I grew up on a farm we raised quarter horses so we actually had a little bit of land to farm and I did it for one summer in 4-H club and having to clean stalls on the weekends for the horses and then also having to take care of a garden um, allowed the luster and the excitement of having fresh vegetables <laughs> <laughs> uh, fall quickly. So my mom was the cook, um, and she was she had a she had a rotation. She was a simple cook, um, 
for the guy that grew up where we could have had a lot of fresh vegetables and things like that, we did not. Um, I, I'll, I'll always remember the time where my mom tried uh, asparagus the first time and it came out of a can. And, and my father, who is the most complimentary person and adores my mother, they've been married for 55 years, I'll remember the day that he said, um, we don't ever have to have that again. <laughs> But um, <laughs> still a very we, diplomatic way. It, 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 there was a backhanded <laughs> ca- compliment in there somewhere. Like, right. Good try on me. No, but we had. Um, and I bet your mother still brings that she up. She does. Yeah. She hasn't forgotten it. <laughs> yeah. Her soul is scarred. Um, but no, we had the rotation of uh, her version of spaghetti, which ironically is probably the closest to La Tavola's bolognese that I've ever had. And she had no culinary background to be able wow. to provide it. And her her method and her steps and her recipe are nowhere near the Latopla recipe. Wow. But somehow it came pretty close. And That's really interesting. My dad, to this day, every time he's in town, he's got to have Latopla's bolognese. I've actually had that bolognese. So that's it's cool. pretty delicious. I, I've, I have a piece of the, uh, the, the family history in there somewhere, even unintentionally, which uh-huh. is great. So... <laughs> So we had a rotation of that. We had a rotation of liver and onions. We would have pork chops in a pan with what we called American potatoes. Um, I don't know why. They were just <laughs> sliced potatoes and they were cooked in a fry pan and they were American potatoes. It doesn't matter. They were so great. we were a meat and potatoes family. We had chili and we had, oh, I don't know. We had other random things that were usually, it was almost like there was a Monday dinner and a Tuesday dinner and mm-hmm. whatever. And um, what day did she make those uh, shredded, the baked shredded potatoes? What are they? So that was for Easter. Oh, very unbelievable. She makes she makes a whipped cream potato on Easter, which is basically a it's a white potato that's boiled, cooled, shredded, then thrown in a pan with heavy cream and Reggiana cheese. And um, this tells everything: uh, dried, flaked onions. <laughs> Not fresh onions, but dried flaked onions. It has to be. There's so, there's no substitution for that. Absolutely not. There's not. Well, they have good shelf life, so they exactly. can go this year and next Easter. <laughs> I and, think they define shelf life. That's right. So <laughs> that were, actually sounds really good, though. So there, amazing. So, so there were some. So she had some special meals. My dad has had her beef stroganoff every year for his birthday since they've been married, and her Easter dinner is really great, and her Thanksgiving is really great. Everything's very simple, but uh, so that's that's my upbringing. And, nice. And Saturday mornings were a big deal. We all slept in as a family, and there was always a big breakfast on Saturday mornings, nice. and so there were always pancakes and bacon and eggs and stuff like that, and that's actually where I started cooking. I woke up early when I was eight, and I decided I was going to make breakfast in bed and scared the shit out of my parents when I walked in their room with it at eight years old. <laughs> and they ate it. That's amazing. And everybody lived. When's the first time you had grits? Not till I was down in Charleston. I was going to say, had to be when you like, came south. Yeah, early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Do, were, were grits a normal thing? Maybe in Ohio? No? Not in Ohio? No. Nope. Okay. Where's, I had grits the, with a mother from Tallahassee. Right. Not but very so, often at home, but in visiting yeah. family in the south. But where's they the, weren't the kind of grits that we serve today. Right. They were more... Yeah, I don't think there were pe- a whole lot of people eating yeah. fresh ground grits yeah. in the 70s. See, in the grits yeah. that I grew up eating, in, so I grew up in Central Florida, but my dad, the way that he grew up eating grits, it was closer in relation to kanji mm-hmm. 
very much more like a porridge. Mm-hmm. But then you come to Atlanta, like grits don't slide off your spoon in this city. Right. They stay on there because there's so much either like sour cream or heavy cream and then God knows what else. But Butter. Yeah, a lot of, lot of <laughs> butter, a lot of butter. But uh, yeah, uh, grits, uh, I, I, I felt like I found like the new new invention of grits uh, when I moved to uh when I moved to Atlanta, they're just different. So I was just curious. I was curious, like, if you guys grew up with grits. Where's the grit line on the map, I wonder? Does it stop at Kentucky and no. not make its way into the rest of the Midwest? Well, I think the good grit line is not a line. I think it's sprinkles in certain areas, and you get yeah. lucky when you have them. Because exactly. I married a girl from the South whose mother never saw um, grits that didn't come out of a box and couldn't be made in 30 seconds. Yeah. And, um, those leave a little bit to be desired. Yeah, and I think any self-respecting Southerner is going to say, like, you know what, if it comes out of a box, like, it's not really grits. Sorry, I'm taking a picture of you, Steve. That's what happens here on the Atlanta Foodcast. Um, I knew there was video in here somehow. <laughs> somehow. It's not a video podcast yet, but we're working our way there. Um, well, I love, that's one of my favorite things to ask all of my guests on the show is I'd love to know where you guys come from. I'd love to know what kind of eaters you guys were, like how you actually were before you ended up in the industry. And that's what brings me to my, to my next question is how did, like, give me like the, or whoever has like the best version of the story, I guess, like how did you guys actually come to work together? And I guess that can kind of like bring us into, um, you know, like what, what were like the founding like years of, of fifth group. So who, who has the best version of like how you guys all like came to work together and then start fifth group. How much time do you have? Well, uh, it's a three hour episode and we we're it might be good to start, we can do it start it chronologically. Yeah. <laughs> would be probably the best way to do it, right? So in ninety one, Chris and I would have met when Chris was doing an externship at Magnolia's in Charleston. And I had just graduated Michigan State and was had moved to Charleston. Um, and we worked together at a restaurant called Magnolia's with uh, for a fella that uh, later became all of our partners at South City Kitchen, who happened to grow up with Robbie, and they were best friends through junior high, high school, and yeah. college. And uh, so we moved to and opened uh, South City Kitchen in Atlanta in April of 93. Uh, Chris had not finished school yet, but joined the company right after he finished school that summer. Robbie joined the company about a year later, was originally going to be involved in Magnolias, but decided not to. He had already been here in Atlanta for a few years. But uh, that's the that's the really condensed version of it. Wow. Yeah, so my parents uh, had, uh, when they moved to Charleston uh, in 89, right around the time of Hurricane Hugo, if anyone remembers that. But um, they opened a store called Fred on King Street, which is the gourmet houseware kitchenware store. And so when they moved to Charleston, my mom started really venturing out and doing a lot more um, um, dining in the area. And Charleston has a great um, uh, restaurant scene. Oh, And one of her yes. favorite uh, restaurants was Magnolia's. And so she would go there all the time. All um, the time. All the time, like a couple all times the time. a week. They were, oh, wow. they were yeah. the MVPs. Yeah. Nice. For sure. So by default, I was um, hired when I came back um, for the summers. I studied restaurant management at Penn State. And uh, when I would come home for the summers and stay with my folks, um, I got a job at Magnolia's and I was um, the pantry bitch. And then I was the uh, I was in the prep kitchen and I'm, uh, you know, I would basically um, just work there for each each summer. Um, And that's where I met Steve. And I then I I made my way up to um, 
the uh, made my way up to the line, and then Steve was, um, I think, a general manager at that point would be my guess. Is that right? And then, um, um, and I'd be working on the line, and we just kind of knew each other. And then yeah. when I graduated from Penn State, they opened South City, and that's when I joined the team. Gotcha. Yeah. And was this the which location was this for South City? Which was like the OG? Was that the one in Midtown? Yeah. Wow. What was Midtown like in '93? <laughs> We didn't when Sorry, we t- when we question. no when we signed that <laughs> lease. Well, there was no Federal Reserve there. Those were houses still. Oh wow! Most of them were abandoned, and it's actually where Music Midtown was originally. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Old school. When we signed the lease at South City Kitchen, we actually didn't know Ansley Park was on the other side of Colony Square. <laughs> And we opened for lunch originally. I'm sorry, we opened for dinner originally because we saw the high rises around us and we said, we're gonna open for dinner. It's gonna be a quiet opening. We'll get our sea legs under us. And then we'll open for lunch and the floodgates will open because there's all these high rises around here, which there were a quarter of the high rises. Yeah, I was gonna say, Persenium across the street was a grass lot with a Gorin's ice cream trailer on it. The corner of Peachtree and 14th Street. That's right. Get out. And the garage next door was a surface lot, and uh, Four Seasons was Grand the Occidental yeah. Grand Hotel was being yeah. built. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the building that uh, the big law firm across the street from Persinium wasn't there. I'm, King's nothing, Building yeah, was King's not there. That, was a, that there. was a tiny little red brick AT&T building. Yeah, it's yeah. 2,000 it was, it, was, it was a little sketchy, too. There's a lot of extra curricular activities going on right behind the uh, restaurant at all at all hours. Yeah, we had a surface lot right next yeah. to us. I I'll always remember one of my dad's good friends came down from Michigan on a trip on their way to with my parents to Florida, and he was sitting in the bay window looking out into the parking lot, and uh, he he ran out the front door and he ran out to the parking lot to give one of the homeless guys 10 bucks so he would leave because he didn't want to he didn't want there to be a, a bad image of the restaurant, but had he uh, had he only known that he could have had a full time job and needed a lot of ten dollar bills to right. keep away some of the riffraff in, uh, in the good old days. Yeah, well, I, I was I was having a conversation with someone about Buckhead back in like the early '90s, and um, it's uh, oh, do I need to look? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's so funny to try and to try and juxtapose what what I know like around Colony Square, um, and how people describe it back in like the late '80s or early '90s, and trying to like picture what that might have looked like without all these giant sky rises and like what the profile of what Midtown looks like today. Um, to think of everything kind of not around there for there to kind of be an open lot in Midtown just seems so counterintuitive to how <laughs> I mean like the core of Midtown right now yeah. so different yeah, yeah. man but that's cool I, I love that you guys have so much history together and it's cool it kind of shows I mean I can, I can feel that you guys you know probably spend a fair amount of time like having fun ripping on one another as friends do but um <laughs> someone I don't chuckled. know what you're talking about <laughs> like that's bullshit I don't know what you're talking about but um but I before we get into um you know, like the early days of you guys starting out and like starting to, you know, drive concepts from Fifth Group. I want to talk just a little bit about, you know, the the dining scene specifically and like how you guys have really seen that change. Because, I mean, there's there's no question. You guys have done so much in way of opening, you know, different concepts that are, you know, more multi-location, different parts of the city, you know, from here at Buckhead or, you know, over in Midtown, um, you know, places that people treat just kind of like as regulars. You know, I mean, like you talk about your mom going to Magnolia's like three or four times a week. I think a lot of people do that with some of your guys' concepts as well. It's it's the 
regular kind of spot, but it's also, I mean, you're going to go out for a nice dinner at Echo. I mean, it's, um, it's the kind of place that people, again, like I said at the beginning, you know, at some point you're going to walk through the front door of one of your concepts, but you know, just, just from your guys' perspective, you know, knowing that, um, you know, so much of what you guys have done has really shaped a lot of what the dining community is like here in the city. You know, what what is your guys' take on seeing Atlanta evolve since you guys started with South City Kitchen back in '93, and now today it's March 25th of 2019. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. Yep. So, a lot has a lot has changed, and yeah. not just you know, that 25 years. It's been really in chapters, right? I think throughout the years. And when we first started, part of what we wanted to do was to open. We wanted to open great restaurants that were doing something that no one in Atlanta was doing, or at least our version. Of course, as the years have gone by, that's gotten more and more difficult as um, great restaurants have blossomed all over this country and definitely in Atlanta. But we wanted to open great restaurants and be a part, in great neighborhoods and be a part of those neighborhoods to build regulars that, but th- that were also special enough and the experience was special enough that people from all over the world wanted to eat there. And we would consider that icing on the cake. And, uh, you know, South City Kitchen and then Food Studio, which I don't know if you know, Food Studio is in King Plow Arts Center. Right. La Tavola to this day has more regulars and more guests known by name than any restaurant I've ever been associated with in my life. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that our staff um, know by name that eat there on a weekly, you know, once or twice, once a week or twice a month um, kind of thing. It's it's pretty outrageous. And uh, when we did open La Tavola, it was innovative for its time for Atlanta. I, I joke, it'll be 20 years old in May. That's insane. And Italian, and when we opened La Tafala in Atlanta, was like spaghetti and meatballs. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really, there was Alfredo's and Nino's, and uh, I guess La Grata was around. I was so that was dark more, rooms. Yeah, just uh, nothing um, that was driven by the true seasonality of what a true Italian food is. And, um, and it's evolved, of course, that restaurant has evolved as well. But you know, we wanted to build places that that we hired great teams and great people that we had fun and like being around that the people in the community wanted to eat at over and over and then be a part of that community and give back. And then um, that's kind of that was kind of the core core of our company. And um, mm. doing something new that isn't been done has, like I said, has gotten harder and harder. And then you know, we can get into later part of our strategy is growing our company as you briefly touched on. We have duplicated concepts, yeah. which even a decade ago, um, you know, we might not, even though there was a South City, a second South City, 13, I guess, Vinings will be coming up on 13, 14 years. Yeah. 13. But um, it, that just kind of came about because of the location we pulled up to. It looked like a South City kitchen. I mean, right. all those French doors, and they were there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were built there. But um, so it's been important to us to do new, fun, innovative things in, in great neighborhoods. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think is just so interesting is, I mean, again, I, I think the... Um, Probably the restaurant that I've been to the most out of the whole lineup is, I mean, just over the years. So the past, I don't know, what, six, seven years or so has probably been South City Kitchen, but mostly Midtown. I mean, I've, I've mostly lived on the east side of town. And then other than that, it's been El Taco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think Alma's great. I love, I love Alma. And, um, but if you're like in the downtown area, like that's solid choice. But, you know, having like that neighborhood type feel um, is, is something that is so so crucial and it is really funny you know the first of all like when when you start talking about a restaurant that's coming up on 20 years so rarely are you talking about like oh yeah we're celebrating our 20th anniversary here 
Some people are like, we're celebrating a year, and by God, do we feel lucky that we've made it. 365 days, everybody. High five. See, we've um, had to go through that feeling every year for 25 years. And that was actually going to be my next point, Steve, is like, it's it's so funny that I think a lot of people lose that, or it, it becomes some sort of misconception or something to kind of debunk, is that not every day is just kind of handed to you. I mean, you're, you're still fighting for traffic. You're trying to win your customers back and time and time again. There's more competition. And, you know, with, with there being more of like the established places in Atlanta that have really laid a ground floor for there to be, you know, I mean, for you guys to have, you know, Mexican and then more like new American. And uh, I mean, especially like the, the Italian that La Tavola is for those all to be under the same umbrella is, um, is just really interesting. You know I mean? It's not, you're not like a one trick pony at all. It's like, not, well, well, we've done this and let's just replicate it in different corners of Atlanta. It's, it's a lot of difference like all over the place. So I can continue to like wax poetic on how I feel about eating in Atlanta but um, but you guys are way more interesting than me talking. So, but yeah, it is, you know, it, Robbie, it's just, it's so interesting to, to think of, you know, how much evolution there has to have been that you guys just lived through and you guys' restaurants are opening. You know, it's, it's a, quite I a think concept. When, you know, when I was at Penn State and I was looking at trying to figure out what I was going to do with my um, upcoming restaurant career, graduating with a degree in it, hoping to make something happen, um, Atlanta came on the, on the radar um, because, well, one, because of the Olympics you know, we're going to be coming in 96. Right. So I knew that was, that was going to be a big, good influx um, to the Atlanta um, scene. And then the, when I was doing my research and looking, it's probably microfiche back then, but um, doing research on the restaurants, it was, you know, there was a couple of, um, there was a couple, there was like, I think like two restaurant companies or, um, about really that were kind of established in the, in the Atlanta area. And it looked like with the influx of, of you know, uh, the money they're going to put into the city because of the Olympics and the sort of the younger crowd that was moving into Atlanta, there would be a great opportunity to to do to uh, take part in the restaurant business, um, which is kind of what was definitely what drove me to come to to Atlanta mm. to to do that. And and in in addition to the restaurants, we also we opened up um, uh, Bold Catering and Design, which is our catering division, right for the literally like a month before the Olympics, oh, which wow. stemmed from. Actually, our catering company stemmed from uh, South City Kitchen, which uh, we had a, we had a cu- our customers coming in saying, "Hey, can I buy your restaurant out?" Or, "Hey, can you guys come to our office or our right. home or anything like that?" Right. So we started looking at you know the uh, um, any restaurants that were doing anything offsite, or and that which led to the the catering thing, and, and I found a niche there, and that's um, that's how uh, Bold Catering and Design was born over in wow. the Kingplow Art Center. So, yeah. yeah, it is so funny to me that uh, there 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 have been plenty of friends that we've had that have moved here over the years, and we have to have the conversation with them uh, that they don't really realize, you know, like how how things really came about for the sake of the Olympics actually being in the city. And like these buildings, like it's really fun to know this history, but like that building was only constructed because right. the Olympics were coming to Atlanta yep. and look at like what it did. And you can kind of follow the map and like watch like development happen. And or like if you're looking at historics and people just don't realize like, oh, that's right. The 96 Olympics were in Atlanta. Right. Like it's just so funny if you're here, you know, you just kind of know that. But that's a but that's a perfect example. It's like what was the impetus for starting right. this? Like, I mean, talk about opportunity. Yep. You know, it's huge. I had no idea. That's amazing. It's really cool. Um, Talk to me about your guys' concepts a little bit. So for the listener who, um, shame on you if you don't know who Fifth Group is and their amazing restaurants, but um, let's see if I got them off the top of my head. Hang on. South City Kitchen, La Tavola, Echo, Alma, El Taco, and I'm missing one. Lure. 
Lure. That was the other one. So that's the one that I actually have not been to. So it's been great chatting with you guys. Have a great day. Um, Thanks for being on my podcast. Bye. Um, No, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you guys have um, you guys have you guys have a really great family of restaurants. So, I mean, just talk to me about like, you know, because some of them are single location. Some of them are multi-location. You know, just kind of talk to me about how that has, you know, grown. What was the what spurred like the what was the inspiration behind? Because they're all very different. Right. They're all very different. A lot of the early concepts uh, evolved based on what location we found that we found interesting, where we saw opportunities, what we thought saw as missing in the neighborhood, what Mm -hmm. excited us from a food style or a service style or a, you know, a look and feel, you know, how did, how would the food from a restaurant fit in a certain building? Did we think the neighborhood needed it? Did we think the neighborhood wanted it? So that was a lot of the evolution, especially early on, Um, you know, and everything from, South City to Food Studio to the second South City to, I mean, even Echo on 7th Street. I used to drive by that building, which was the seediest um, bar. Purple Haze was the name of it. Yeah. And before that, it had Until been... Until the city closed it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, bar- barbed wire and, uh, and uh, fencing in front of it. And yeah. there was like a little sliding thing to get in. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was amazing. Thanks for all of your years in business. Please close. <laughs> we don't need you anymore. Thank well, you. the neighborhood lost their minds because it had been the Atlanta Fencing Club for like 15 or 20 years, to which to this day, we still run into people that we know that fenced there, which... Do you like know any people fencing? that... Like, like with, fencing, like with a foil yep. and the mask? That's and right. Like, speaking of the Olympics, yeah. like coming back. Fencing. That's right. Fencing. So, yeah. I think yeah. it's coming back. One How of, badass would that be if that's like the next thing that kids are getting into? I just got a flyer in the mail for uh, summer camp coming up, so man, well, if you, I'm in. If you go to the into the Echo in Midtown and on the bar, in the bar, there are two foils on the wall. And we were having a conversation with one of our attorneys. He said, oh... I fenced. I got a full ride to Clemson, and he grew up in Pennsylvania, I think. He said, well, that's what brought me to the South. We're like, what? He said, oh, yeah, I fenced at Clemson. And it says in his Tryouts were at the bar in yeah. Atlanta, man. It was awesome. Yeah. And then he says, oh, and my sister fenced. We're like, what? And about six months later, they walked in the door with those foils and said, Would you, you want these? We're like, we've been driving around with these in our trunk, and they are on the wall Get there out. today. And they, they're brother and sister. Wow. Uh, foils, and they've been there since the year we opened. Yeah. yeah. Wow. If you fence and, and you're listening, it, yeah. yeah. I, not that you have any reason <laughs> to be on my show, but I'd love to talk to you about fencing. That's right. That would be amazing. I don't know anyone who has ever I, – I would actually love to fence. I would love to do it. Yeah, I, I think it would be For great. Sure. Maybe right. that's the next big thing. Right? we got axe-throwing bars. Maybe there's going to be fencing yeah. bars. Yeah. Like drunk with a foil yeah. and gl- – you know, yeah, eye goggles. patches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, I can only imagine. It's all you know, fun what games gonna... until somebody loses an eye. Yeah, it, uh, it. There's a lot that we could do here. We could we could keep going about this concept, and it's right. actually going to turn into something. So the seventh concept from Fifth Group. That's what we're going to do later this year. So tell me about your guys' new fencing and. Um, margarita concept that's right yeah it's margarita it might be a gin bar or gin bar yeah Yeah. that's right yeah that's great um that was really fun i'm glad that we did that i don't even remember where we were so some of the the evolution of locations after that really stemmed from continuing to think about what are the neighborhoods we're going into where we're going into them reactively because someone approached us and we found interest in them or we're Mm -hmm. going into them proactively and both the locations of buckhead we're very proactive about. We had already decided to duplicate South City, and uh, and then we're sitting in Echo right now. And originally, we were going to uh, put La Tavola here. Oh wow! But um, 
but we started thinking about it and we started thinking about Buckhead and we started thinking about the size of the space and we thought, gosh, we've got this thing in Midtown that we really like and does really well and yeah. we think will fit well and be embraced well here. And and so this ended up becoming Echo. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we're sitting like over near the windows, like close to, to this is Peachtree, right? Yep, Am I facing right. Peachtree? Yeah. yeah. And why um, you go? This is, this is a big restaurant. How many people can you seat in this location? I think it's about 240. Yeah. This not is a big counting guy. the patio. Yeah. Yeah. This is the biggest one. Yeah. She's, she's a big restaurant. She's a beast. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, it, that, that is really interesting though. You know, that it's, um, that you guys were actually thinking about putting La Tavola here, which I think would do great. But I think what I really love is that La Tavola, if you drive too fast or if you're not really looking for it, like you might not actually ever know that it's in the, like right. just one day you're like, that's where La Tavola is. But we live in the Highlands, so we walk by it, you know, I don't know, four or five times a week when, and like, it's, it is funny. Like we see plenty of the same people, especially the same cars right. parked in the same space. Like, I don't know how you do that, but they do. And, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the kind of place that, it, it'd be so funny to see another location because I've only ever known it just as the one. It would know? have to be just right to the right location. Now. I can yeah. see it in a, a basement location yeah. somewhere, maybe. Next to a fencing club, yeah. maybe. But yeah. if you think about how the neighborhoods, and you were alluding to this earlier, how Atlanta has changed. You know, right. There was no Inman Park restaurant neighborhood. There right. was no Fourth Ward restaurant neighborhood. There was no Brookhaven you know, restaurant neighborhood. There right. was no you know, pick pick the neighborhood or micro neighborhoods inside of the East, you know, East Atlanta, you know, uh, you can not to any- mention Crog street and pot city and yeah. right where there's right. 40 restaurants. Exactly. In one place. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that has really changed the dynamic of how is the restaurant industry changing? How many people are involved in it? Is it more independent? Is it more group oriented? And so that's, you know, those are a lot of things that, you know, we'll sit down and, you know, try to write a five or a 10 year plan every five or seven years and then we get a few years into it and we go yeah we got to change the plan yeah and and it's just because you know the city has really changed in a way that is great but certainly not in a way that we could have ever predicted yeah and it, it just continues to do so i mean look at i mean what's happening in like southwest atlanta i mean look what the belt line is down on the east side like yeah, it's, it's the fledgling stages of what's happening now over on the west side of the belt line like monday night garage and mm-hmm. got their own farmer's market now and like it's just it's starting to just happen all over again but yeah, yeah. um tell me a little bit about the size of the fifth group family how many people would you say like total i don't know if you can just ballpark it but i mean between how many actual locations total like between all the concepts do you guys have because there's a few south city kitchen there's now this echo mm-hmm. and so how many like actual locations like restaurants do you guys have total so we, we own nine restaurants all in Atlanta, and then there's four that are licensed. So, you know, there's an Echo in the airport, in the airport right. and two El Tacos that were turned into QSR counter service. Right, right. Those are those are our brands that we oversee, but they are owned and operated by a concessionaire at the airport. Oh, interesting. And then our South City Kid, they're, so they're licensed. And then the South City Kitchen at Avalon is the same. It's operated by the hotel operator. Oh, interesting. Um, but again, it's obviously our brand, our standards. We help oversee and manage wow. and, and coach when needed and to, to get things uh, running the way that they need to be. And then there's a catering company that Chris, catering and design company that Chris mentioned. So the nine residents that we own in our catering design company are about between 900 and 1,000 employees. Good golly, I was going to guess. About 120 of those are what we, we call managers, but people that are in um, leadership positions, whether yeah. that be front of house management, culinary operations, 
um, sales and our catering company is a big sales uh, force and sales yeah. team, private dining. Um, we even have our entirely our own internal repair and maintenance. We do everything ourselves within wow. our company. There's almost awesome. no out, outside third parties. We have a director of facilities and then an assistant to him and then seven full-time employees that we fix everything ourselves. So we are wow. we're kind of self-sustaining. Yeah. We don't farm. Uh, we, we looked into that a few years ago and realized how hard it was. We could not even figure out a way to break even. Uh, we were going to open Fifth Group Farms. Wow. Uh, which would have been, you know, even for just part of what we do, not even close to all the produce that we yeah. use. But uh, that, was, that was a great learning exercise. Right. Uh, a lot of uh, even made us appreciate uh, the farmers more than we already did. So yeah. It was quite a learning experience. Well, we're going to have to cut out the part of the show where it's about my uh, kitchen repair business that I do on the side of podcasting. So <laughs> thanks for that, guys. Um, that's amazing. I mean, like a thousand people, like that's that's so many people who are impacted by, you know, what, I mean, not only that, I mean, just like the number of people that you guys serve, like the number of hands that it takes, like from a kitchen perspective, I mean, service, everything. I mean, just running one restaurant. I mean, it's, it's so many hands, but I just love to know like that, like those data points of, you know, how, how many people are under this one umbrella, so to speak, yeah. you know? And, um, I, uh, I mean, for, for very brief part of my life, I actually worked as a, uh, as a line cook, um, for, um, for Darden. So I actually worked at um, Seasons 52 for a little while. Yep. And the number of people that it took to run one Seasons 52, I mean, and this was in Orlando, Florida. So I mean, you're just, you know, hop, skipping and jump away from all the touristy stuff. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's just a it's a sea of people that make everything happen. So, it yeah, it's um, it's a huge feather in your cap, though. I mean, like just, you know, creating you know, good opportunity for people is always I just I really love to know that. But um, out, outside of the concepts, talk to me about um, Talk, talk to me about your guys' involvement in the community and supporting a lot of nonprofits and other organizations. Um, I mean, things that happened in Atlanta. Um, you, you guys, I mean, when I say that you guys touch a lot of, you know, parts of Atlanta from a dining perspective, that's one thing. And, you know, one of the, one of like the, you know, kind of goofy like sayings, you know, that I have of really like the impetus of starting the show is like I, I kind of collect interviews with people who I think make Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And it's not aspirational. I mean, it's, it's completely, you know, what, what I, what I really see as people's hard work and really what that does to bring so much back to the industry, let alone the community and the city around us. So, um, but you, you guys have such a, you guys have such a huge footprint in how you guys have supported things. I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, children's healthcare of Atlanta, the giving kitchen, um, and for some reason, those are the only two that I can think of. So, yeah, you, you, you guys it's do been, a lot. It's been an yeah. important part of our culture of our company since the day we opened. And uh, the, the three holes in the chairs at South City Kitchen and the three holes in the logo, those initially represented kind of the three, we didn't call it our values, but kind of three areas of uh, responsibility that were important to us, meaning our staff, our community, and the environment. So that has been a part of what we've done for 25 plus years. Um, you mentioned Giving Kitchen, which is a fairly new organization and headed up by uh, Todd Musman and Ryan Turner, who worked for us for years for opening Musman Turner. Yeah. So we've been connected with them. Right. Unbelievable cause. You know, in hindsight, it's really as much as our industry all over this country is involved in their communities and giving back, it's in hindsight, you think, why did it take so long for someone to come up with this idea to take care of our own, right? Other corporations have their own internal things, so it's really amazing, and we've been very proud of that whole organization, and we've tried to support them every which way we can. Um, 
Children's Health Care, we've done some small things, helped them get a taste of the Highlands up and going years ago. Mm. Our biggest um, our biggest internal fundraiser and uh, is for the uh, Atlanta Community Food Bank that we have been a part of for 25 years and donating and such, and for the last 15 or so, very involved. And then this coming year is our 11th year for the Hunger Walk Run, which is their largest internal fundraiser. And we started uh, 11 years ago, we started doing a roundup program in our restaurant where we asked guests to donate money. Yeah. And then they were so successful the next year, we got about 80 restaurants to participate. Um, and it got so big that the food bank took it over themselves. And there's, so there's a restaurant program where restaurants all over the city get people to do that. And we've raised, Fifth Group alone in the last 10 years has raised half a million dollars. Wow. Um, between our guests donating, our staff donating, uh, and our company matching, and then our vendors as well yeah. participating. And that's, we're going to start doing that actually next Monday, uh, yeah. beginning April that's 1st awesome. for four weeks with a goal of $100,000. Awesome. Um, so. We, we support them. They, you know, they, they feed people in 29 North Georgia counties, about 850,000 people a year, 60 million meals um, a year that they're um, yeah. helping people. And then we also do a lot with a number of um, uh, of our veteran organizations as well. Bold does a lot of uh, veteran events, and Chris is involved with um, those. And then many people in our in our companies sit on different boards. Steve sits on Midtown Alliance board. Chris is on the ACVB board. I'm on the food bank board. Um, Steve and I have been on the GRA board and uh, our operating partner, Stuart Fairman, currently sits on that board. So we, we try to be involved in a lot of different places, both with our not just money, but time and energy and, and, and uh, years of experience in this city to help move things, help move neighborhoods and organizations forward. Yeah, it's really cool to see so much of that effort too, coming right back to local state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people, their families, like, you know, either initiatives that people are so, you know, involved in themselves or, you know, things that they're passionate about. So it's it's really cool. I mean, it's one thing to just, you know, I, and, and I'm not speaking negatively about it, but to do something that has more of a national footprint, national notoriety, something that you can kind of prescriptively join in on but you know because it, it, it takes a lot more effort to do something that has more local impact so I don't think a lot of people realize right. it's a you know it takes time and effort and you really have a lot more logistics on your hands so um, no that's cool I, I really so. love that and I, I think one of the things if you see the uh, it's really more <laughs> of like an infographic on your guys website the number of organizations like I think you mentioned you know a, you know, a bulk of them but um, it's just a laundry list of like who you guys like, support on a on yep. a regular basis which is really well, cool and if there is a school uh, an elementary school or a junior high or a high school, they have called us and we've said yes. And whether it's dine outs or gift certificates or, you know, for their annual fundraisers. And it's very interesting the how as, as we've grown as a company, the, uh, the world around us, as far, how far out the uh, requests come in from. And I'm like, <laughs> Mableton. I'm like, hmm, which one of the restaurants is closest to Mableton or Milton? You, you yeah. know, it's like, you start, it's like, where is that? Right. But it's like, sure, we'd love to help. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of have to check sometimes, like, where someone's telling me where they're from. And I've got my phone, like, where is McDonough again? Is that north or south? Yeah. I really don't remember. Yeah. Uh, Mableton, though. Just, that's right by South 30 Vinings. I was yeah. going to say, that's kind of like northwestish, right? Yep. Yeah. I know my geography. Yeah. I know Atlanta. I live here and stuff. Um, 
tell me about like from each of you guys' perspectives, um, which we didn't really cover. But if you like, you know, each of you have you know kind of like your own area of um, I guess focus, like here, like on the on the fifth group team. But you know, tell me about like what what you guys really see. You know, I mean, you, you talk about like a five or a ten year plan. Like what what do you guys see from like you know each of your seats here on the team? Like you know how how would you guys see growing fifth group more or continuing to, you know, grow aspirationally for your guys' business, but also keeping, you know, what, what is that going to look like in terms of Atlanta? Like you guys have been around, you know, for, you know, 25 plus years and, you know, what does that look like for the next five, 10 or more? What does that look like for each of your guys' seats? The city's growth, you mean? And what's yeah, just, and, yeah, just seeing? like what, what you guys see from your perspective as well. Like what would you guys see that's next for us or the city? I, yeah, I mean, I'd say really for, like, the city and for you guys. I mean, you know what? I think the city is, boy, that's kind of unpredictable. But it, right. it, it just seems like it's going a 1,000 miles an hour. Mm. And just when we think that there's going to be a tipping point as to, okay, there's too many restaurants now that's going to have to slow down and stop, it hasn't because we've been saying that for three or four years. And still the velocity of restaurant openings is it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing to us. and. Um, hundreds and hundreds of restaurants are opening per year just in the city of Atlanta. Yeah, yeah it's, it's insane. It's, it's almost hard to understand. So for us, it's kind of a strategic thing. It's to say, what are the brands that we feel have legs that we currently have uh, in our company, and what would we like to do? Uh, what would we like to do that we haven't done? And then what are the locations that we feel? those opportunities uh, you know might provide a something successful and you know we're talking about you know so much is being talked about as far as uh, ordering online and delivery service and we say how does that impact ours so part of our our strategy has got to be both related to new units and what we think is going to make a difference and what's going to work but it's how do we keep our existing units relevant yeah. and what do we need to do to them either based on how people are eating differently or drinking differently or how fast they want to eat or if they want it to go or if they want it delivered or so so it's it's pretty multifaceted yeah um, you know the, the Chris runs the catering company and you know and that company is our single largest company by multiples of any of our largest restaurants wow and you know we still feel like there's a huge opportunity to grow that uh, company we've been looking for a new facility for some period of time and you know we're trying to find the right one in the right place that you know can both handle the volume that we do now plus grow into the future and you know just sitting down and saying you know really nailing what are the opportunities that we should focus on because there's too many opportunities, right? It's right. Like if we just said, <laughs> what are all the opportunities? You know, we could sit there and be hysterical and, you know, spin out and lose our minds. But it's really trying to narrow it and say, okay, how do we want to grow this so that it makes sense and we're all doing what we want to do? Yeah. And it, it's so interesting, you know, I mean, I, um, I love seeing, you know, some of the some of the, the restaurants and some of the concepts and especially the parts of the city where you see so much happening from a dining perspective here in Atlanta. I mean, there, there's so much happening, you know, from, from different styles of cuisine or where people are coming from. And, you know, Atlanta's like the next step to try something new. I think something that's been really um, almost like a theme is 
that Atlanta really is a great place right now, like the community aspect, is that it's a really great place to try. It's a really great place to try something new and introduce something new to the community. And, you know, I think, you know, if you guys did decide to open another Italian concept four blocks from La Tavola, there's going to be a group of people who are probably going to be very excited that you guys are introducing something new to the city. And that's a very, very odd concept for there to be a whole lot of acceptance around. And I think it just shows you that there's, um, there's a lot of energy around how people treat their neighborhoods, but the city at large, you know, just as a whole, around how they define how they really connect with the city from a dining perspective. I think it people, a, it's a lot of people's entertainment in this city. Right. People say, what, what are people doing? Well, they, they shop and eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And drive, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. People love to go out to eat in this. And it is their night out. It's not a, let's get this on the way too. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of that as well. Cause there's more and more culture, more, more shows, more music, more plays. Right. Uh, and more to do than ever. But people love to go out in this city yeah. and eat and experience great restaurants. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Um, well, yeah, I mean, with the, with the last like couple minutes that we're wrapping up here, guys, like what's, what, what's something that you guys want to leave everybody with? I mean, I, I, it, it's such an honor to sit with you guys. I mean, there's so much, you know, history that you guys have really written into the restaurant community here in Atlanta. And, um, so, I mean, thank you first and foremost for feeding me Appreciate and my friends it. and coworkers <laughs> over the years. But, but yeah, I mean, just like, what, what would you guys want to leave everybody with? You know, I think we we just celebrated our 25th anniversary that we mentioned in South City, and one of the things you know talking about that was you asked how many employees we have now, but that's now, right? So there is hundreds, there's thousands and thousands of people over the 25 years that have come through our doors and worked with us. Um, not to mention the hundreds of thousands of guests that have eaten in our restaurant and supported us, and yeah. all, all those people. Um, the fifth groupers, as we call them, or fifth group family that have been part of, and some of them are still in this industry in Atlanta and gone off and done things on their own, which we're very proud of. But we're just really excited and proud of what we've accomplished, but with all of these people, so many people have been a part of our company for so long. Some have worked, still worked for us for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. There are people in our company that have been here that long, but there's a lot of great people um, that have come through our doors and helped us help helped us live our dream and and uh we we don't take that for granted you know at team heidi the other day running into people a lot of them are, have or some of them have gone into the wine business stuff and, and going to events like that you see a lot of people that have worked for us yeah. years ago um and it's just it's really cool and we're very um grateful for all those people and for the people of atlanta that visit here too yeah right because a lot of people visit this city, which has totally. a lot to do with our success in our restaurants yeah. also. But um, we're very thankful for that. And it's, it's very cool to really sit and think about literally thousands and thousands of people that have helped us do what this yeah. group has done over 25 years. I think if you color-coded the branches of the restaurant family tree in Atlanta, how much of that would be fifth group? It's it's pr pretty staggering, I'd imagine. In a really good way, I mean, you guys talk about, you know, like Muss and Turners and, you know, I mean, look at, I mean, so many people who are still in the industry doing something different, you know, like the, the, the touch points, you know, of where people's careers are now. It's pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as it, uh, kind of spinning off a little bit of what Robbie was saying, um, we do, we spend a lot of time focusing on the having a great culture in our company and taking care of our employees and growing them and, and also in connecting that with the, um, the importance of um, 
uh, impacting our, our city's dining reputation. I mean, we realize that we are um, we're an important part of um, of, of the this, uh, representing the city when people come in and, and check out Atlanta and then figure out if it's a place that they want to live or work or bring their business to and things like that. Um, and we, we focus a lot of time and effort to really to make give them a positive experience and, and also be connected with the people that are um, that are in charge of going out there and bringing big business to our to our to our city, whether it be for events like the Super Bowl or the Olympics or anything like that. And we know what they're what they're trying to get accomplished, and we recognize that, and we and we discuss it with our staffs, and we say, hey, these guys are coming in, and the, and we're you know we got to be on our uh, you know give a good showing to some of these folks that are coming into town and, and possibly bringing their businesses here, whether it's for convention business or moving their operations here or whatever, and you know making it a comfortable, awesome city to live in, you yeah. know, and uh, and so we we know that that's that's our overall goal. I mean, that's our mission as a company is to uh, is to positively impact our city's dining reputation. So yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's great. Cool. We're gonna do more. We're gonna do stuff you don't expect. We might do some things that you've seen us do before, and uh, we're gonna have fun doing it. And we hope we everybody is excited about what they see yeah well you're gonna start your own podcast with your wonderful voice and there's gonna be a fencing concept at some point in the future so yep. but with, with gin yeah with and gin. eye patches in, in, yeah in a gin bar so it's great i'll, I'll be uh i'd love to be involved <laughs> um we really got to stop i'm so sorry but <laughs> robbie chris steve thank you for being on the show i really appreciate it thank guys you. thank, thank you, you. Awesome. Many thanks go out to Robbie, Chris, and Steve for joining me for this episode. And I'm still laughing just a little bit from that fencing-themed bar idea. But uh, if you have yet to check out one of the Fifth Group restaurants because you're new to town, uh, welcome, by the way. Or, you know, just, uh, yeah, if you haven't, it's time for you to go. So head over to fifthgroup.com and book a reservation at your choice restaurant. My personal favorite, El Taco, every time. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry, 